increasing the tax too high um, when you can effectively make beer, you know, a Cooper's kit very cheaply um, to get a, a reasonably uh, good quality beer um, with zero tax on it um, can almost have a uh, counterproductive effect, you'd imagine. And welcome to episode 447 of Brews News Week. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, and I'm joined this week only by Ian Watson. Welcome back, Ian. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm good. Good. You've had a big day on the canning line? I have. My my legs and my back are pretty sore today. <laughs> I'm not as young as I once was. Matt, I, I, I regularly say how old I am, to just to give context to my uh, how out of touch I am. How old are you to be uh, still... You know, lumping uh, malt bags and things around. I'm just on the good side of 50. Just on the good side of 50. Okay. What is the working life? Mileage may vary. Everyone's different. But, you know, what is the working life of a a brewer? It's something you don't often hear, you know, particularly a lot of people who get involved in career change to go in to follow their passion for brewing. Yeah, that's a good question. Look, it depends on the brewery that that you're in. Um, look, there's and and it depends on what your role as a brewer is because there's all different sorts of roles as brewers um, and definitions. But if we look at someone like uh, Pops, you know, he was um, brewing and on the tools well into his seventies, uh, which I find really admirable. I have had a um, uh, prior to the start of this year, I had uh, quite a number of years off the tools, uh, still technically a brewer, but in my role, I didn't actually do. A lot of physical hands-on stuff, um, but then when I moved on from my last role, I actually wanted to get back on the tools again. Um, a lot of breweries were keen for me to be doing other stuff for them, um, but I actually wanted to to be a, a brewer again. Uh, hence why I sought out the one that I'm that I'm in now. Um, and my body in the first few weeks back really, really hurt. Um, I forgot what it was what it was like because it is uh, in a really small brewery. It's tough on your body, you know, when you're lifting twenty five kilo bags of grain when you're rolling uh, kegs around, which weigh sixty five kilos. Now you don't have to lift those up. You shouldn't be lifting those up. It's not uh, safe work practice. But even still, bending over to uh, roll those along and move those around, it's a fair bit on your body. Just bending up, getting down. Um, it's, it's it's it is physical work. Uh, in a very small brewery, in a large brewery where um, there's a bit more automation involved, um, where you might have bulk grain that's moving around, that's certainly a hell of a lot easier on on your body. Where you've got cans that are being depalletized. So this morning with our canning run, I was literally lifting every can off the pallet and putting it into the machine, every single one. Whereas for quite a number of years, I've had depalletizers where a forklift loads it into the depalletizer, and then it automatically comes down uh, into the to the canning line. And just those twisting motions uh, and standing on a hard surface all day um, does wear on your on your body. So I, I am conscious about um, uh, uh, what the working life of a brewer is. But you know, before I was a brewer, I was a plumber, which was also pretty hard. And there's no way in hell I could imagine at this age crawling around uh, under houses or running across roofs, dragging sheets of iron behind you, you know, which my father did till he was a fair bit older than I than I am now. But, um, yeah, I suppose it comes down to the individual brewery and the individual brewer, what their, what their working life is. And uh, how much longer do you th- reckon you've got? Uh, or, or, or will you be looking for a role that's more supervisory? Um, I don't know, Matt. Uh, I, you know, I actually really enjoy being hands-on and making that, but I do know that I have a skill set um, around the administration side of it, um, and that certainly is a lot easier on the body. Um, you know, the ultimate thing would be able to combine that <laughs> the two, but I, I really do like being um, hands-on. You know, we, um, as those that know me really well know my love of spreadsheets, and as much as I do love and good at them, I'd you don't become a brewer to make spreadsheets. You become a brewer to, to actually be hands-on and, and, and make 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 word um, and let yeast turn that into beer. But, you know, again, it's it's one of those things that... It, 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 something that constantly occupies my mind with small breweries is, 
you know, if, if there is a finite capacity to do to do the work, and because it is hard physical work, and you know, uh, can be demanding and you know, unpleasant, particularly in the heat of summer, um, you know, the the, the challenges involved in having staff, you know, that as the brewer, and often brewer, breweries are founded by the person who wants to make the beer at the beginning, you know, uh, having people who are sort of younger and fitter coming in. To, uh, to, to to do some of that work? Yeah. Um, you know, well, that's all dependent on brewery size and so forth and a number of staff you can you can have. Uh, it has been a concern of, of mine about how people would judge your working potential. And it was something that I, I discovered uh, end of last year, earlier this year, when um, when I uh, announced that I was leaving Ballistic, you know, before, this, before they went into administration. Um and I had a lot of interest from people, but most people wanted me to do, um, well, everyone really wanted me to do administrative-type roles uh, with the view that they could get someone cheaper to make beer. Um, and it's like, yeah, you can, but, um, you know, I really want to make beer, and um, you don't always get what you pay for. And that's no reflection on someone that's just starting their, their brewing career. They might be fantastic. But experience goes uh, a hell of a long way. Um, my discovery through my own personal experience of what I, what I now know and what I now know I can do and what I observe others, um, as you build up experience, there is there is just so much that comes with it. It's just it's it's irreplaceable. Um, but you know, I, I did for myself. I really did want to be actually making beer again. I, I you know I I started homebrewing again about three four years ago after. Um, about a six-year break. Uh, so for most of my career, I've I've kept home brewing, but I did have about six years there where where I um, I really wasn't home brewing. But I, um, as I went more and more into the administrative side of being a brewer, I I missed that, and so I I bought myself some homebrew equipment again and started to make it so that I could I could I could actually be hands-on and make beer, and I could make the beer that I wanted to drink. Um, which is not necessarily what you're doing, like uh, when you are working as a brewer, and that doesn't mean you dislike the beer you're making. But my tastes are a little bit more particular than um, what most breweries uh, are wanting to produce. Um, with my with my love of European stuff, and in particular Belgian Belgian beer. Well, you need to match the market rather than what you, you know, <laughs> brew for well, yourself. Well, also you have to, they have to uh, match what your brewery's plan is and what your brewery's. Um, uh, branding is etc cetera, etc cetera. um and um you know if your brewery is built around being hop forward uh well as hoppy as many belgian beers or, or german beers etc could be it's um probably more likely you're going to want to do american style um stuff and you have to be if the reason why you've started your brewery, you're a brewery owner and you've employed a brewer or brewers um if the reason why you started your brewery because you fell in love with sierra nevada or or Pliny, or um, whatever, um, you've got to be true to the brand and the vision that, that you create. Mm. It is physical work, and it is people don't realise that it is dangerous work um, as as well. Fortunately, we don't see, well, we don't hear of many accidents. I, I, I hear privately of, of, you know, some minor, minor ones, but not uh, very serious ones. But it's, uh, you know, I, I think that's something that the industry has increasingly become aware of. Is, is that a fair? Yeah, uh, d- uh, def- definitely. Um, major accidents, uh, you don't hear too many of, which is, is, is good. Um, people are, are getting a lot more safety conscious. Um, it's a lot better now than it was 20 years ago um, but even just the minor little things that happen in, in any trade and I do regard it largely as a trade uh, but down the, the the front of my left leg at the moment from my knee to part way down my shin there is no hairs on it um, is that from caustic or steam that's, or that's from that's from caustic and that's uh, being as safety conscious as possible wearing gloves but then a small amount of absent-mindedness carrying those gloves over after they'd been used to the sink and there was a small amount of caustic on those gloves. The gloves went down, hit on my leg and you naturally don't know it. Um, Notice it straight away at the time, but a few minutes later you feel a burning rub down and all the hairs rub straight off your leg. I had a caustic burn on my leg, so yeah, so uh, but my, it was my own stupidity, um, which was something you know, <laughs> that, that, that I learned uh, the hard way. 
I'll tell you off mic one time, Matt, about my worst ever caustic burn, which was actually as a plumber, not as a not as a brewer. But people probably don't need to hear about how I got my bum burned by caustic. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think so. So no, we certainly don't need to see the scars. Um, no. Let's 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 move on to the news of the week. A um, little bit of news this week. Uh, First one, Cheeky Monkey Brewing Company acquires Sound Brewing Company. Western Australia's Cheeky Monkey Brewing Company has announced its first venture into the Perth metropolitan region through the acquisition of Sound Brewing Company, which had been in administration. Directors Brent Burton and Brendan Day expressed their excitement about the strategic expansion, marking a significant milestone in the company's growth journey. At Cheeky Monkey, we see our venues as more than just establishments. They are the heart and soul of our business. This acquisition is a golden opportunity for people in Perth to engage with our brand and enjoy the Cheeky experience, which is all about sharing exceptional beverages and food with friends and loved ones, said Burton. Director of Operations Brendan Day told the Beer is a Conversation podcast this week in a great chat that Cheeky Monkey had only, hadn't acquired the brewing equipment as part of the deal and would be rebranding the business as Cheeky Monkey. So effectively, they've uh, acquired a venue uh, in the Perth metropolitan area um, and won't be seeking to... He just talked... We, we had a great conversation about the romance um, of brewing and whether that was important to a site like that. Um, so it's a yeah, nice one to go and listen to in uh, combination with the, the, this news story. Um, what, do, what do you make of that news, Ian? Yeah, interesting. I'm particularly interested about the fact of not um, acquiring the equipment and essentially just having it as a venue. Um, so there's a few aspects to that. So it, if you have a second production facility, something particularly small, um, it's not as uh, efficient and your overheads are going to be higher um, because the amount of labour, the amount of labour it takes for me on a 5-hex system, uh, the amount of time it takes me on a 5-hex system to make a batch of beer, make a batch of wort, is the same as um, someone that's on a 50-hex system. So your, your costs do spiral with that. And then depending on where the venue is, uh, if you can get more tables and chairs and get more bums on seats, that potentially uh, you can make more money and still be bringing it, uh, the beer from your main production facility. However, there is also the side of the romance. Um, and it would be interesting uh, to if we could get feedback from them, if they're willing, uh, over time to see how that venue is able to, to do without the equipment in there. Because people do like to see equipment and feel that they're in a brewery and not just a venue, and that's not to be um, down on, on a venue, but there is um, feeling of that experience as well. And so it's always, I always think there's that that debate when you're doing satellites there under the brand of a brewery, do you do with the inefficiencies of um, having a second system in there, or do you take advantage of that space and make that more profitable by having more bums on seats? And will you get enough bums on seats? Is there quite the draw of not having the brew house there. That was something that uh, I, I was curious about because I, I wouldn't imagine that brewing equipment would, you know, there's so much brewing equipment available now that I wouldn't imagine that it would be a huge cost. And even, even picking up a couple of the fermenters or something that even as just pure decoration um, uh, around the venue and maybe maybe they will or if they've got some older tanks, they can just sort of uh, drop a few out there so there's a bit of stainless steel to lend a bit of a vibe to it even if they don't actually brew. Yeah, absolutely. That might be a, a, a way around it because there is, you know, every venue has to have a point of differentiation um, and it's not good enough to just have your doors open. You know, you've got to have good service, you've got to have good mm. product and you've got to have a reason for people to want to come in there because there are other places with good service and, and good product as well. And I really have looked at a lot of small breweries um, their point of differentiation, their their marketing is the fact that they actually have a brewery there, something that's producing uh, on site. Um, and yeah, with, without that, there, you, I, I think you've got to uh, have everything sharp in every other direction. Um, however, like I said, you know, if the the inefficiencies of of brewing on on a site. And the fact that you could potentially get more customers in there, will, would that outweigh it? Um, I don't know. That, that would be something that would be interesting to watch and see. But it would be like if um, Forex opened 
I uh, bought a venue uh, on the other side of Brisbane to Milton and branded it as 4X. Would that be enough of a, a, a draw card, whereas people know they can get 4X, or in this case, Tukin Monkey at another pub? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, 4X do a very good job with their um, off-the-wood kegs as a way to you know add that romance and the magic to something to make a, a special event. And I, I think there are ways. Yeah, again, I, I don't think um, that there is an authenticity around the Cheeky Monkey brand. And, you know, uh, so long as you, I, I, I think it would be important that it's tied back to the brewery somehow so it doesn't just feel like a regular bar or a regular venue. Um, so people feel like they're still drinking beer that has been made at least by the business, if not on, on, on premise. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's some way to create an experience um, there around it to have a tie to the um, have a tie to the brewery. Otherwise, you know, potentially could it be called something something else and just happen to be owned by a brewery, um, you know, as as like a tied house. Um, yeah. But I, I the other side to it, I don't know what the um, brand strength and equity of Cheeky Monkey is like in Western Australia because that's you know a Essentially, a million miles um, from where I where I am sitting in in Newmarket in, in mm. Brisbane at the moment. Um, but that that was an interesting um, factor about it because you know, as you rightly say, with the the value of brewing equipment at the moment, it, I wouldn't imagine that that would have been a stumbling block um, for 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 the purchase of that that equipment. Really, um, it had to have been because they didn't see the value and they saw a better value in in utilising that space in another way, um, and, or perhaps that the brewing equipment maybe wasn't offered uh, potentially um, with the business. But, um, yeah, I, I am interested to see how, how that venue unfolds for them without that equipment in there and uh, how that unfolds in comparison to um, what it was before they took it over. Then the flip side to all of that conversation uh, about romance is... I did speak to Brendan about it because you do see a number of you know industry consolidation and um, you know breweries coming together um, to get it scale um, or to get uh, efficiency to try and find a way forward. Kind of goes out the window when, as you pointed out at the start of this this chat. Uh, it's inefficient to brew on a small system when you've got a bigger system in the, the, that you can access. Um, and it, it seems to make sense to try and make additional venues um, as efficient as possible for, for, the, for the cost of the, the beer that's being sold. Yeah, absolutely. When, when uh, I think you said in the conversation that their main production facility can produce two or two and a half million litres of beer a year. Mm. Um, so it's a... Uh, a, a reasonable bit of kit there, um, and I certainly would imagine they'd be able to produce their beer a lot cheaper there. And if as, if that brewery is not at capacity, which which uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's not, um, it essentially would not cost them much more at all, and there would be a massive overheads reduction per keg going to the mm. sound brewery venue than if they produced a sound brew. Uh, the and and even factoring in freight because if they are what three hours away from from Perth down in Margaret River, uh, two and a half three hours I think yeah yeah um, so e- even factoring that in there there still would be substantial savings in in doing it the way that they they are doing it. Hmm. Uh, moving on, uh, interesting one. This one, Good Drinks provides rider light update. Uh, Good Drinks, uh, better known some as Gage Roads, uh, launched a new beer called Rider Light uh, earlier this year, just a month or so ago, um, August twenty twenty three. In fact, uh, Rider Light was developed to capitalise on the new take on Australian lagers, the sometimes called Better for You, uh, with zero carbs, seventy eight calories, low bitterness, and no. Uh, low, no preservatives that's just a marketing speak um rider light was also launched with packaging and marketing materials containing statements about being brewed with electrolytes although beer can contain electrolytes it has come to our attention that making such statements may not be permitted under the australian new zealand food standards code 
As such, we, that's uh, good drinks, have decided to remove any references to Rider Light containing electrolytes, marketing materials, and packaging. Accordingly, Good Drinks Australia will be uh, reissuing point of sale material and have updated all digital assets to remove any references to electrolytes. The proprietary Rider Light recipe remains fully compliant and the brew is unchanged. Um, mate, this, this has been something that's been concerning me a little bit. I mean, even the, the whole better for you for things that contain alcohol, but then the wellness, uh, whether it's overtly stated or the halo effect of some of these things. And as uh, uh, somebody, Luke Cooper, um, noted in our comments, I wonder how eBay will go, um, given that that's a big part of their whole brand is that it's an electrolyte beer plus a whole lot of magnetic nonsense. Um, that, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought that was an interesting one that, you know, I, I you know, personally think, you know, beer should be beer and you really do risk courting trouble when you edge into making any sort of wellness claims um, in, in, in the way that some of these do. What, what think you, Ian? Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, look, look, first up, I'll say good on them for um, stepping up and removing that um, that information from their packaging and, and marketing. However, I'm also surprised that they um, a company the size of them went ahead with this to begin with, um, because it yeah, uh, it, it it is potentially I believe uh, in in breach of. Australian New Zealand food standards codes. Um, so I am surprised that they went ahead with it. But look, everyone makes a mistake. Um, they've owned it and they're, they're removing that from there. But as a category whole, I, I agree with you. I don't like that. Um, trying to mask alcohol up as something that it's not. Alcohol is a poison. Um, it's our poison of choice. Um, it's a poison that can be consumed in a way that um, has little, um, well, I believe has little detrimental effect on your health if consumed in the right way and can actually have some positive benefits as well. But if you're needing electrolytes, taking anything with alcohol is not the way to go. Well, and that's where, like, again, the, all of the conversations around revesterol and, you know, functional benefits and, you know, silica and things that are in beer, because it's got alcohol in before you're going to get any of the meaningful benefits of these things you're going to consume alcohol that has a detrimental effect on your health and you know i i, I say quite often um what you just did that alcohol is a poison but it's also a poison that we seem to have been hardwired through evolution to tolerate in small amounts um which is you know one of the you know when you look at all of the impacts on on our body and you know the presumptions about why those things evolved um you know it has it can it can have in small amounts you know benefits um socially and uh, also um in terms of health but when you start making claim you know marketing claims about that there is just a natural creep other news uh, of the week, uh, voting open for Gab's Hottest 100 Australian Craft Beers of 2023. And I knew immediately um, when voting was open, Ian, because I had about 30 emails in my inbox uh, as the campaigning started. And about 45 minutes later, a lot of kvetching uh, or a lot of griping on social media from you know people saying you know once again blaming you know is this just going to be the Dan Murphy select list um, of, of 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 winning beers um, whichever way everyone goes um, it, it is still one of the biggest days in beer um, you know for, for for the year yeah absolutely it's not meant to be taken that seriously so um, if you're offended by the results have take a hard look at yourself it is what it is. <laughs> having some fun but yeah look i got inundated with um um emails and some for breweries that i never knew i'd ever given my email to which uh, (laughs) i I find concerning and i would just say as a reminder out there there are laws regarding um these sorts of things um you can't just spam people that have never signed how would people have got that's the thing how would breweries have gone about doing that um well, possibly they might have had my email from other means, from business, ah. 
and then they've just spammed me there. Well, ultimately, in the end, I'm not someone going to take too much offence. I work in the same industry as you, brother and sister. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, but but others might be a little bit annoyed at that. So make sure you're doing your mailing lists uh, in uh, a, a legal and ethical um, ethical way and have fun um, with your campaign and don't take it too seriously. And congratulations already to those that are going to do well in it. Um, and vote and be in it. And if you really want to get upset about it, make sure you vote for the beer that you thought was the best. The, the Hottest 100 is only about 12, 13 years old, so you know, still fairly you know, reasonably young, but uh, or maybe, maybe 10 years old. Um, 15, I reckon it's about is it, oh, 15, okay. 2009. There we go. The thing that fascinates me is, you know, for a long time, you know, there were, you know, fairly strong rules around you know marketing and campaigning but it, you know under under the new management obviously that's a big part of promoting it and growing it widely is um you know breweries pushing out promotion to, to vote for us and getting it into um you know first choice of the liquor partners or the, the, the strong liquor partners this year um but when you see how overwhelming or how you know large the amount of uh, correspondence we get about it. You know, I'm, I'm mindful of, you know, businesses. You know, if, if you go back, you know, however long, um, but when, you know, the, the local Chinese um, just have said, oh, I wonder if we dropped our, you know, menu into all of the letterboxes within a two kilometer radius, whether we'll get any business. And no doubt that they did. And the first people to do it did very well. But, you know, as, junk mail became a thing and your letterboxes were stuffed with it you don't even look at it you know so it's it, it it's going to be interesting to see how the arms race of attention um you know people looking to get votes and eyeballs um from from the same audiences whether that does create a noise that has a uh, turn-off effect or has a um, you know ha- has an impact in, in in a year or two, um, and 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 actually muffles excitement for it as people get tired or bored of it. Yeah, that that could be the case, and that's where we could see some people doing some really interesting things um, in order to get their message across um, that maybe they don't want to be caught up with the million other um, emails that people are getting and that are not looking at and are actually potentially annoying them. Um, so that's where, yeah, someone that can market themselves a little bit outside the box might do well or might do well for their amount of input. Some breweries have spent staggering amounts um, in marketing themselves for for this uh, and then you have to ask what their actual return is is, is for that and... Um, whether that's been worthwhile and whether that's been something that they can carry through or, or whether spending a fraction of that and spending the rest of that on on uh, marketing themselves across the entire calendar uh, might be better for their brand in the in, in the long run. But um, it's it's part of our beer landscape here in Australia is the Gab's Hottest 100. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people excited to see the results there. In, when's that? The end of January? End of January, uh, this Australia Day, or what, what, yeah, it was the Australia Day long weekend. Um, or, the closest, yeah, the Sunday Sunday closest, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and we'll again be uh, working with Gabs to broadcast uh, Hottest 100 uh, live countdown. Um, so, which will be, God, it's a, it's a big day, four or five hours of, of, of live broadcasting, but it's certainly a lot of fun. That's the news. Uh, let me see, you know, it, actually, one of the things I've seen in terms of marketing um and businesses getting known and you know trying to drum up um you know, interest in in voting for the hottest 100 is getting um you know their cans printed and you know mountain culture who won last year um certainly have got that onto their packaging already and uh you know there are so many ways that you can create awareness and you know Almost on cue, um, our good friends at Rallings have just installed a new printer, which can print short-run, full-color cartons and coasters. So if you have any seasonal or special beers, or you want to campaign very heavily for your Gab's Hottest 100, you only need a small number of cartons. Uh, If you want to promote a special event, uh, new beer or function on coasters, then give the guys at Rallings a call. There's no plate setup charges for this new equipment. They have very small minimum orders and quick turnaround times. They can print on supplied cartons 
cartons or they can supply the cartons for you. The coasters might be worth, here we go, the coasters might be worth thinking about for promoting Gab's votes for your hottest 100 beers as they can be printed on both sides and you could even work with some local businesses to advertise on the back to cover the costs. Your branding on one side and the local plumber or mechanic on the other side. Uh, or, you know, you, you see so many venues, so many um, breweries putting umbrellas out the front of a pub these days. You could print coasters that have your label on one side and then the venue uh, details on the other side that are done specifically for a number of your good supporting venues. Uh, of course, all the other products and services are still available, labels, shrink sleeves, tap decals, blank cartons, trays, etc. And you can find out more by giving Brad, Paul and the team at Rallings a call on 1300 852 235 and they will be happy to help. I believe you had a you, know, you had advanced notice of this new ad read. I, I did, yeah. From uh, listeners, I surprised Matt and said, oh, I believe we've got a new Rallings ad today. And he said, oh, how do you know that? And Paul popped in to uh, see us this morning um, at Happy Valley while we were doing our canning run, um, check in on how, how we were, um, had a little query for us around some stuff and um, uh, told me about their new, their new printer, which does sound like it'd be something that... Um, you could do some pretty cool and exciting stuff with um, some interesting promotional things along uh, along with it. But yeah, just continuing on with the um, with the the great service that they they do give. And lovely guys, and they're really, really they're really excited about uh, being able to do that sort of thing. And you know, with Christmas, uh, some of the other things, Christmas around the corner. Um, you know, if you wanted to work with one of the local businesses that they wanted, you know, co-branded Christmas gifts with your beer or things like that. So, whole lot of opportunities that they've opened up there. Um, moving on to other news, uh, alcohol taxes aren't high enough, uh, says the World Health Organization, and this is sourced via Reuters. Um, this is one of the things, you know, I know it becomes a bit of a, uh, a thing, but I think it's a highly important, uh, you know, global issue um, to, to monitor for businesses that work in the uh, alcohol space. Um, when we look at the World Health Organization, which has urged governments on Tuesday to increase taxes on alcoholic drinks and impose them on, on products that are currently exempt, such as wine in some European countries. Uh, sugary beverages are also under the um, crosshairs. Um, Rudiger Kretsch, Director of Health Promotion at the World Health Organization, said taxing such products at a high rate increase, creates healthier populations. Um, the article goes on, uh, drinking alcohol is a causal factor in more than 200 diseases and injury conditions, including some cancers, liver cirrhosis and cardiovascular disease. Uh, and our alcohol industry associations say that higher levies lead to reduced sales and lower tax revenues while threatening some businesses survival um interesting interesting uh that the alcohol industry is essentially confirming that higher levies does lead to reduced sales and lower you know lower tax revenues but uh then again you'd imagine if uh people are consuming less alcohol um there may be some health benefits so it's a it's an interesting one um it's very much alcohol is uh you know under fire globally um and something that, that you know alcohol producers need to be very very aware of and, and trying to counter somehow and not through you know better for you beers for example yeah no just by being good responsible uh business citizens i suppose is is the the first one interesting you're saying what you're saying there matt about um increased uh taxes on alcohol actually bringing in less tax potential less tax revenue um, that's potentially could be just um, tied to tobacco, and uh, I believe from something I heard uh, through Dr. Carl uh, eighteen months, two years ago, that in Australia the um, the cost uh, the cost of tobacco um, related illness and death is less than the revenue that's generated by um, tobacco excise. Uh, which is why potentially we haven't had more effective um, anti-tobacco laws that have been uh, brought in because, in a way, our society itself is addicted to the revenue from tobacco. Yeah, um, but it, it, it's—I it, mean—it's it, interesting. Tobacco taxes are so high these days that. 
there's almost a, a law of diminishing return in in some ways that it does seem to have significantly curbed smoking but smoking of course has you know zero um, benefits zero. we've we've talked yes. about uh, talked about that and uh, and so the cost but there is also the economic um, parad- paradox that if you get too expensive then you actually create a black market um, for tobacco uh, and offering cheaper uh, you know either legally imported uh, cheap tobacco because the profit motive is there to to criminalize it and uh, you know alcohol is legal to make at home um, certainly beer is and increasing the tax too high um, when you can effectively make beer you know a cooper's kit very cheaply um to 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 get a a reasonably uh, good quality beer um with zero tax on it um can almost have a uh, counterproductive effect you'd imagine yeah that's true i hadn't considered it from that angle of what the um what can happen when you drive something underground and um and the black market impacts of of it there as well hmm um, and just another one that we've been uh, following, or I've been following. I don't know uh, whether anyone else has been following this as closely as I have, but I think you know. I, I think that in terms of you know future, you know, gazing um, could be huge. Uh, use of the GLP one receptor uh, agonist to treat substance and alcohol abuse uh, disorders is promising, but premature. Say researchers, and this is uh, I'm calling this an Ozempic update. I talked about the class of drugs that uh, have been found to help with uh, treating diabetes, but then also as weight loss drugs have had the possibility or there's anecdotal observations from patients uh, that have suggested the drug may also play a role in treating alcohol use disorder and other substance uh, use disorders, um, which again is relevant not so much because people will be prescribed it specifically to treat alcohol disorders, although they might, but with easy weight loss, um, a holy grail for you know essentially you know low motivation motivation humans. If you start taking this drug and it diminishes your desire or the reward that you get from a small amount of alcohol, that could have a very uh, big impact on um, alcohol sales. Um, but anyway, so Christian Hendersot, uh, PhD, Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Director of the Clinical and Translational Addiction Research Program at the Department of Psychiatry and Bowles Center for Alcohol Studies, UNC School of Medicine. I'd like to see his business card. Co-penned a commentary in Nature Medicine addressing the recent trend, saying that although evidence from preclinical studies has shown that GPL-1R8, these drugs, can reduce the rewarding properties of addictive drugs, more studies are needed to verify their efficacy and safety in patients who use alcohol and other drugs. The practice of evidence-based medicine is critically important, and although the data on semiglutides are promising, it is premature to prescribe off-label semi, semi-glutide to these patients. Um, and they are looking at randomized controlled trials. So again, just something else to, to keep an eye out for potential um, you know, impacts on alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. This, this is an interesting uh, one to watch because not only could it be something that uh, could have a little bit of a, a, a side impact on our business, um, on our industry, sorry, uh, it could also have an impact on people who really need these things. And what we could learn about addiction from this as a whole um, is possibly also really interesting about the pathways that lead to lead to addiction. Uh, moving on to Brewery of the Week, and the Brewery of the Week is brought, brought to us by Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per millilitre. And I made a joke last week um, about wondering whether they counted uh, every batch. Um, and I think before the end of last Thursday, I had an email from Derek saying, oh, yes, for every batch of yeast, we count the cells using three different methods. This is to ensure that we have we are 100% sure that every batch has greater than 2.1 billion cells uh, per milliliter. We have found that some strains may be very tricky to count, and this ensures that we get it right. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I made a joke. Derek listened, and uh, there you go. We have our answer. So they are counted. Um, 
I don't think they have, I don't think one of those three methods is a pill counter where you just sort of scrape a billion off a slide. But uh... no, they're not. They're not counting each individual cell as it comes. <laughs> but they calculate three different ways uh, and ensure that they, you know, they're looking at two point one billion cells. So that's some quality right there, my friend. Um, but yes, so the, whether you're after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly, or monthly deliveries of yeast. Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. Um, actually, the other thing that Derek said is he loves that we've got uh, you know listeners voting for their local brewery to make sure that we've got a nice even spread and we're not uh, just sort of sticking to the same areas. And he even said that there might be some Bluestone Yeast shirts on offer or anything like that. So uh, keep... Uh, yeah, keep an eye or if, if when you suggest your yeast maybe uh, also when you suggest your uh, brewery of the week also let us know your shirt size so we can uh, you know pass that on to Derek um, if uh, if that comes to play I actually Matt um, continuing on from what I was saying with Rallings before I actually had contact with Bluestone this yeast I, I gave Derek a call on the number you you provided and had a chat through um, about an upcoming project that uh, we've got going early next year Um he was very helpful and, yeah, was, was able to uh, say how they might be able to solve our, our problems and, and help out. Yeah, very, very helpful. Uh, but it, and it took, it took him to partway through the conversation. He was like, hang on, you did say Ian Watson, didn't you? And I was like, yes. Like, <laughs> I yes. recognise this voice. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. Uh, but, yeah, very, very, very helpful. Uh, great people great people great person great people um, anyway uh, so the brewery of the week this week is Method Brewing in Newcastle uh, and this comes from Clanny Fuller uh, long time listener um, says that they're great people who own and run it and fantastic range of beers being brewed there it just has a good feel to it so that's what we like to hear so Method Brewing in Newcastle it's been a while since I've been down in Newcastle um, so I definitely need to get down there um, and check it out yeah, I really want to check out Method. It's um, open since I was last down there. Um, I actually do know one of the, the owners, brewers, uh, Sean Costigan, uh, who uh, I work with at Murray's Brewing. So there was two Seans, Sean Sherlock and Sean Costigan, uh, both spelt different ways. Um, and, yeah, Sean's a, a fantastic guy. Uh, really looking forward to next time I'm, I'm down there, go and be able to, to try the beers that they're making there. Nice. Um, so yeah, so uh, it's not not too far to get down there. So I have to try uh, now. Letter of the week. Uh, this is an interesting one again. It's uh, it's about Brewdog. Tim Fishwick sent this in. Aldi and Brewdog are opening a one night only Sydney pop up pub where a beer only costs three dollars twenty five. And this is from I think Concrete Playground or uh, you know some street press. Long before Australia was plunged into the cost of living crisis, German-born, actually German-owned supermarkets, so they're not just German-born chain. Audi was beloved by budget-conscious shoppers for its discount groceries. Fans of cheap snow gear love the brand for cheap winter threads, and everyone knows who has nabbed a bargain bed to blah 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 blah. Now on Audi's list is three twenty-five beers. Uh, if you're in Sydney on Wednesday, December 13, you can enjoy the cheapest pub visit that you're ever likely to have while still buying a drink to celebrate its newly uh, summery beers, it's, uh, which is called ALD IPA, so A-L-D, new word IPA, which are brewed by Brewdog in its Brisbane base. ALD is setting up a one-night-only pop-up pub, meet special brews by ALD. Uh, so basically, as uh, Sabrina commented uh in so we, we she's almost uh, a letter of the week um makes the point that uh i mean supporting a scottish brewery made possible in australia thanks to the queensland government and a german company both undercutting local businesses it just screams celebrate an aussie christmas doesn't it interesting on that ald ipa by brewdog um if i've got this right so that come about uh brewdog uk um knocked uh, off their branding uh, yeah, so Aldi made a beer that was looked like Brewdog and was called something like Nonconformist IPA, um, and so Brewdog made Ald IPA. Uh, Aldi got the joke and actually started stocking it, which I thought was pretty pretty funny. But yes, and look, there is some genius to Brewdog's marketing, um, and you know there is a lot of great stuff to what they do. I just sort of think I wish they'd relied on that more. Um, 
And, you know, it does in Australia leave a fairly, as Sabrina notes, you know, they were lured here um, when there was no shortage of breweries by a, uh, you know, a, a, a blind Queensland government um, that thought that they were going to get kudos when they were doing nothing for the um, lo- local brewers. And uh, I'm increasingly hearing, you know, as, as Brewdog, you don't really see them on tap anywhere outside their own venues, but I'm increasingly hearing, uh, you know, brewers privately sharing that there are some very, very cheap uh, Brewdog kegs on offer to, to, to venues around the place, you know, trying, trying to get beer in. And uh, so the Queensland government hasn't lured a, you know, a, a, a vibrant competitor. It's lured a uh, private equity backed um, and, you know, uh, uh, multinational uh, company to to come in and dump beer, uh, you know, in competition to its own uh, own own breweries. Yeah, precisely. Are, are you hearing like you guys don't really hit the uh, tap market, do you? No, no, not at not at all. Um, very rarely sell a keg of beer outside the the venue. Um, uh, we we just simply don't produce enough to be going out. And, and doing that. Um, there are a few venues that we happily supply to. Um, they come to us. We don't go chasing them, um, which is the ideal ideal scenario. So I, I'm quite a bit out of contact um, with that. I'm not having sales reps come in and whinge to me in the brewery anymore about what they're striking out on the, the road. And I say whinge in the most affected, affectionate Oh, yeah. No, but, well, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of uh, brewers um, talking about, uh, and even next week's beer is a conversation. I ventured up to Noosa yesterday um, to speak to the guys from Heads of Noosa, and it's something that they comment on in the podcast, that there are a lot of breweries... You know, it's tough times, but there are a lot of breweries that I don't think are helping themselves or, you know, their uh, collegiate um, brewers by securing tap points, by, you know, severely undercutting, you know, what what is the cost of producing beer um, just to, to, to get some taps and try and pump up their, um, you know, get cash flow um, is, is, is what I'm hearing. Again, I... I can only report on what I hear, but it certainly sounds like it's a uh, it's prevalent. So it's not just Brewdog doing it. It's, it rankles a little bit that it's a business that got government subsidies um, to to help bring them here. But um, you know that there are a lot of businesses doing exactly the same thing. Uh, uh, absolutely. Look, it's be, it is been it is something that has been happening for a number of years. But yeah, I do believe that it is. You know, even though I, I'm uh, not playing in that space currently. It is something that is on the increase, not just in kegs too, but in, in packaged beer. Um, so, uh, you know, my partner works for um, in in the beer retail space. And so I do hear about the deals that go on from some, some breweries and what they get offered. And my jaw hits the floor and sometimes my blood boils a little bit because of what it does do. It does not help them out. It does not help their competitors out. It does not help the industry out uh, in any way when you sell beer for i don't have to sit down with a spreadsheet to work out when it's not profitable um when it's that cheap um you know there's a little thing in australia we have called excise um and at a certain point uh a deal cuts so hard into that that um you you can only be selling at a loss so and and that doesn't and again and again like it's it's one of those things it's a it's very short term because if your business can't survive on the prices that you're charging, it's it's not really a lifeline. And not only that, you're you know souring the the, the pool for everybody um, who has to try and compete. Um, and you know it, you can say that it's good business um, to me. It you know objectively, it's actually bad business um, and it's bad for the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on that cheery note, uh, the mailbag was brought to you by Beer Fans. Uh, Beer Fans creates new fans for your brand. Start selling outside of the same pool of consumers and increase your size of the pie. It's free to feature your beer and merch on the website with Beer Fans only being rewarded once a new fan is secured for your brand. If you want to put your brand in front of more Beer Fans, reach out to the team via email at joinbeerfans.shop or click on the link in the show notes to start your seven-minute onboarding process. And the link in the show notes is www.beerfans.shop.
forward slash join. Um, now, if you'd like to leave a voicemail or if you'd like to comment on any of the stories and be uh, uh, our letter of the week next week. Um, and next week, I think, is going to be our last podcast, our last news podcast of the of the year. Um so we'd love to get some uh, 90 second messages here look down in the show notes you can just press the button in, on, on your phone and even record it um, tell us a little bit about what has been the highlight of your uh, beer year what is your you know bugbear um, whether you agree or disagree with us uh, it would be great to get some of those to play next week um, what are you up to for the next uh, seven days Ian? Working, 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 uh, trying to get the last. Uh, you know, we're coming out in that final period for beer that can actually be dis- dispatched by Christmas time. Um, so getting as much beer out um, as, a, as I can, really, and and um, hanging with family and friends. And yourself, Matt? Just plugging away. Um, have, a, have, a, have a beer tonight. Uh, it's, it's beautiful beer drinking weather. A lot of... Uh you know, blue skies before the sun, but before the uh, cyclone hits. So hopefully, uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, in southeast Queensland what the impact is. But at the moment, it's certainly uh, beautiful beer drinking weather outside. Oh, ab- absolutely, it is. Last weekend, for those that aren't from Queensland, I don't know what it was like in your part of Australia, but was in Brisbane last weekend was blindingly hot, uh, and I had a few rice lagers that embarrassingly didn't seem to touch the sides <laughs> and finished the glass and went oh yeah that was probably a little bit quick <laughs> well on, on that and uh, i mean uh, i i don't have any financial rewards from saying this but i, I just love it i had you know had the great chat with um uh, the, the guys from heads of noosa yesterday it, it'll go out next tuesday night um again just fascinated by that brewery um you know a lot of the conversation was me sort of saying five years ago i was very dubious about whether a, a, a business that was making you know lagers in bottle um from a large production venue um wasn't too counter to the, the prevailing trends um but they seem to be going uh, from strength to strength the, the japanese lager you know has anticipated what we've seen is a bit of a rush you know you're making a rice lager we're seeing a lot of tevezes or cervezes um and uh yeah so i just wanted to go back and almost five years after they launched go back and see how the guys were going see whether they've tweaked or changed any of their business plans and just uh, get an update um on a on a brewery that i've really admired for the way that they've run their own race they really have run their own race, Matt, um, which I, I do admire. That I'm looking forward to hearing that that conversation. That wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, and brewer Ian Watson. The show is produced and edited by the wonderful Joe Helder. We thank our sponsors, Bintani, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast, and Beer Fans for their support in making this episode possible. As you just heard, we'll be back next Tuesday with Beer as a Conversation featuring uh, Lance and uh, Craig from uh, Heads of Noosa. And we'll also be back next week for our possibly last episode of the year uh, looking at the news of the year Uh, until then cheers